I'm Pippa Kelly. Welcome to the third series of Well I Know Now, in which I talk to people whose lives have been affected by dementia in all kinds of different ways. I launched my podcast during our first COVID lockdown last year, and since then, I've chatted to people living with dementia, people caring for loved ones, to artists, authors, broadcasters, cartoonists and actors, representing, recording and charting the lives of those with the condition. I've spoken to the chief executives and founders of dementia organisations, big and small. And each and every one of my guests has taught me something new about the condition and how it affects us all, about myself, about life and what's important in it. We've mulled over what we know now that we didn't before dementia came into our lives. My mum lived with vascular dementia for her last 10 years. Were I to sum up one of the main things that I know now that I didn't this time last year, and what a strange, unsettling and isolating year it's been. It's the huge power of connections, of real skin-to-skin human connections, of bear hugs and whisper-soft touches, and what we mean to each other and give to each other just by being there. It's often the seemingly smallest things that matter most. It was the poet Sylvia Plath who wrote, Well, I know now a little more about how much a simple thing like a snowfall can mean to a person. And I named my podcast after this quote because, well, dementia teaches you this too. My guest today is an internationally renowned soprano who has been delighting the world's biggest audiences for over 40 years, from London's Royal Opera House to America's Hollywood Bowl. She's performed with every leading orchestra, as well as with the likes of Brian Ferry and the Eurythmics, with whom she sang on the eve of the millennium. And she's produced over a dozen best-selling albums. Music, she says, is in her bones. She's also a familiar face on our television screens, presenting and appearing in countless shows. She encountered dementia when a close relative succumbed to it and says that even when her aunt became so ill that she couldn't remember her own children's names, the sound of music she adored, sung by someone she adored, had a tremendous effect on her. She would open her eyes, shake and tears would pour down her face. So moved was my guest by this experience that she became patron of a charity dedicated to improving the lives of people with dementia through music. It's called Lost Chord, and it's because of our shared passion to bring music into the lives of those with this incurable condition that she and I are talking today. She, of course, is Leslie Garrett, CBE, and I'm absolutely chuffed to bits to welcome her to Well. I know now. Thank you, Pippa. It's lovely to be with you. So, Leslie, tell me a bit about your Aunt Joan's dementia and the remarkable effect that singing and music had on her, because it was you singing to her, I believe, wasn't it? Yes, she seemed to recognise my my voice and the music I was singing, probably more importantly, even when she was lost to us all, music still could touch her. And that was such a powerful, powerful 
impression that made upon me. My Auntie Joan, AJ, I used to call her, was my mum's eldest sister. My mum was the youngest of three girls. And then there was a, a lovely brother much later, <laughs> unexpectedly. But because I'm also one of three girls, the eldest of three girls, my mum went on to have three girls. I think I always had a sort of affinity with Auntie Joan because she was the eldest two mm. of the three. And we'd lived next to each other uh, in the same street. So I'd been in and out of her house all my life. I'd known her my entire mm. life. And, mm. and her husband, my uncle Mo, <laughs> which was short for Morris. Mm. And when he uh, very unexpectedly died of cancer, which was much more advanced than any of us realised, and that was a horrible shock. Mm. Um, on his deathbed, he told his son, my cousin, that AJ and Joan mm. was very, very forgetful and that he basically said he'd been covering for her, which yes. I think is a very common it occurrence is. in mm -hmm. couples. Mm -hmm. I think his passing made it much worse as well. I think her dementia suddenly became That's much worse common. anyway. That's right. Again, it's, it's very common, isn't it? But we were just all so surprised when when we started to, you know, to we spent time with her after perhaps more time than we had before mm. after Uncle Mo died to find just how severe her condition was. She had always been a fabulous pianist. The whole family are, are very musical, yes. as is the whole area. I was born and brought up in a village called Thorn, which is on the South Yorkshire coalfield. Mm. And and miners are, are well well known for their love yes. of, of music and their encouragement of music. And Absolutely. That was my, very much the community I was brought up in. But she was a f lovely pianist. And we began to realise when she played for us that she couldn't remember the key signature at the beginning of the stave. And so suddenly she'd be playing all the wrong accidentals because right. she couldn't remember where yes. the sharps and flats came unless she was playing in C major and then she seemed to be okay, mm. uh, which doesn't have any. Um, yes. But we realised something was very wrong and it, 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 she was diagnosed with dementia and eventually she had to be looked after professionally because mm. she be, she was running away from home and going yes. back to her childhood home and looking for her parents, even though she was by then in her late 70s. Yes. And the lovely couple whose door she kept knocking on who lived mm. in her old family home was mm. they were so patient and kind but mm. we we realized that you know she would need professional care it was becoming dangerous yes. um she began to leave the stove on and set fire to things mm. and mm. yeah but um, it was during that period when she was in this wonderful care home in a village called Stainforth, uh, another pit village, uh, where she was beautifully cared for. That's where I encountered Lost Chord, actually. I was visiting her and, you know, we'd put uh, music on for her to listen to, uh, which would often be my CDs. And as you said in your introduction, she would just look up and look at me and recognise me when she hadn't been able to before. She put it together in, you know, in a distant place in her mind that the person she was listening to was a person she loved. And the music that I was singing was music that she loved. And she put those things together. That's interesting. And it... I hadn't quite realised that. I thought it was just the music, mm. but she made the connection completely with you as she looked at I you. think she did mm, I think she did mm, to start mm. with and then she didn't as it got worse sure. then it was just the, the music and it would make her cry she would always cry and mm. I was never sure whether she was crying because you know in a part of her mind she realized this was all lost to her now mm. or whether it was just simply the power of the music mm. but as you know dementia and Alzheimer's are a physical illness as well as a mental one and Absolutely. bodies become very tightly curled or can Absolutely, yes, uh, my mum's uh, did. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so they almost go back into the fe fetal, fetal position, position. Yeah. which is so, so sad. Yes. And it was while I was visiting her and this wonderful organisation called Lost Cord 
had sent some musicians round to perform. And I, I, I noticed how the people who had been almost the most severely affected yes. began to, when this music was being performed live before them, for mm, them, mm. they would uncurl. They would mm. begin to uncurl these mm. tightly knotted bodies. They would begin to relax. The physical effect and on them. Mm. The physical effect was extraordinary. And it was immediately I decided I wanted to help this organisation and the wonderful woman who runs it, Helen and Muller, yes. talked to me and I said yes and asked if I'd come and be one of their patrons and I immediately said I would. Uh, and then I arranged to do some filming for the BBC in the care home where my auntie was and we we've actually performed a group of us singing for the residents oh, and really we demonstrated mm. we demonstrated exactly what I'd seen um, mm. and we saw these wonderful uncurling of these bodies and yes. then the more we sang and performed, the more relaxed they became to the point that they began to tap along to the music and yes. their feet you would see a, a person just so curled and tight and then you'd notice their foot begin to move and their yes. arm just begin yes. to beat they come and, alive. <laughs> and they come alive and then some of them got up and danced yes. it was just fantastic wonderful it was it's like miraculous. an awakening mm. it was miraculous mm. and then they all began to sing and the joy on their faces when they realized they were remembering something you know, that they had reached to the back of their mind and found something that they could remember. And yes. I think for some, there was an awareness that they were remembering. And that was, again, so incredibly moving. Um, it was very often the old songs, the Vera Lynn songs, the, the wartime music. I remember I was singing what I thought was a passable, represent, <laughs> a passable rendition of O Mio Babino Caro from yes. Jenny Skeeky. I'm, I'm sure it was very possible. And I, I sung that and they, they were sort of, their eyes were quite wide. <laughs> uh, and, and then this lovely, lovely lady <laughs> whose hand I was actually holding, she said... That's very nice, dear, but can we have Daisy Daisy now? <laughs> I mean, she'd remembered a song, you see. I said, of course you can. And I, and that was a, a, actually a revelation to me because I have a wonderful pianist called Alina Tilbrook, who again I met through Lost Chord, and she could play anything by ear. And we set off on this wonderful medley of war songs, and yes. I had forgotten I knew these songs. Of course, I used to sing them when I was a child around the piano when mm. my grandparents would come and want to sing all those kinds of songs from the war in the sort of uh, late 50s and early 60s. And um, <laughs> and I set up on this great big medley, and it Fantastic. was, and they all joined in, and it was one of the most moving moments of my life, actually. And I was so glad we captured it on film. I think when it's live, it does seem to have mm. even more of an effect, doesn't it? Definitely. Oh, yeah. most definitely. And when they can join in, that's the thing I think that makes a huge difference as well. That's why uh, she wanted me to sing Daisy Daisy, because she could join she in. She knew mm -hmm. it. They didn't want a concert. They wanted the activity. Interaction. That's what mm. They wanted the interaction. Exactly yes. so. Yes. And yes. I, I'm sure that that's a key to mm. keeping active and aware for longer. In fact, mm. I, I remember listening some time ago to a wonderful programme on the radio radio was focusing on the problems of dementia and Alzheimer's and it cited a piece of research being done at Plymouth University mm. where a professor was well I think it was a professor it could have been somebody doing a PhD but they had managed to get together a group mm. and they had set to music to a song that they knew a list of jobs that they would have to do first thing as soon as they walk up mm. you know like mm 
wash their face, brush their teeth, mm. have some breakfast, take the dog for a walk. Mm. They and they set it all to music. And when they did that, mm. the resident yes. um, was able to remember everything. The person uh, with because, dementia. Be- the person with dementia, exactly, sorry, was able to remember everything. Incredible. Uh, and, and, and do it, <laughs> you know, mm. and follow the instruction. Mm. So I do think there's a big part for music to play in the understanding of dementia. Oh, um, yes, absolutely. I really do. I think we all know that. I, I think, think we've we all seen now. this now. It's yes. well known. Yeah. In my fir- I think it was my first series. I interviewed Sally Magnusson. You know, she oh, yes. set up Playlist for Life. Um, yes. And is obviously a yes. journalist. And, um, and her mummy, yes. Amy Baird, Die with dementia, and she um, was a great singer. Like mm. a lot of Scottish people, you know, sort of ballads and mm. folk mm. songs. And Sally was kind enough to let me listen to, and in fact, we used it in the podcast recordings of her mum, very close to the end when her mum was really, as we've just been describing, you know, mm. very much sort of almost going away, completely away from us, uh, mm. curled up. And then you can hear on this recording. When she sings, her voice becomes so much stronger. Mm. Um, She really remembers it, which is extraordinary given the Mm. condition she was in. And Mm. then at the end of it, she just sort of says, that was a good one, wasn't it? And it was so moving because she thought, yeah, she's been brought back just, you know, for a while. Um, And then it can have a sort of legacy effect. I don't know whether you noticed that, Leslie, but often people in care homes say to me, yes, and after this amazing miraculous thing has happened with the music it lingers on for a few hours sometimes afterwards and people are more stimulated yes yes i've been told that by the carers because that's the other people that benefit from this enormously are the carers Absolutely. because it, it mm. gives them such a lift to yes. see the people they're caring for become en- innovative yes. and, and and alive yes it's um, a win-win and it's a win, exactly. Mm, mm, and we've, we, we get lots of feedback from the carers and they tell us that the effect does last, it does linger. Mm, mm. I just wish we could do it every day. <laughs> but one of the great things about Lost Corps, which is why I really liked it as a charity too, is because you go back every month to the same home. So there's this sort of, you build on it. You know, yes, there's a continuum. there's a continuity. Yes, yes exactly. exactly. Um, and I believe it's and in, it's... sorry, carry on. It's, I was going to say, it's not just singing, too. We take uh, instruments. Uh, people respond particularly to the flute. And mm. we always make sure the instrumentalists walk in between the, everybody and sit next to them and play mm. and, and literally reach out. And that also has a powerful effect. So as long as the music is happening within the group and not separate on a stage, you know, as long as they can reach out and touch it almost, then Absolutely. it seems to have that effect. But singing, certainly, I think, when they can join in, has has the biggest effect, I would say. Yeah, and this is what's been so... One of the many things that's been so sad about the uh, COVID situation, isn't it? Because this connection, this human interaction has been um, stopped. But you're doing with Lost Chords some outside singing groups you were telling me about, where you can actually... It's outside, but... Well, this was actually through another organisation in conjunction with Lost Chord. There's an organisation called Out to Perform, run Mm. by a terrific chap called Stuart Barr, that champions outdoor singing. And we got our heads together about a month before Christmas and we lobbied, um, Out to Perform lobbied government to make them aware that singing outside is much safer than singing inside because up to that point, the laws, the rules governing where you could sing said that it was the same and it wasn't. It's not at all. It's much, much safer to sing outside. 
So we got the law changed under the banner of Save Our Carol Singing <laughs> because we, we knew yes. Boris Johnson is a keen carol singer. So <laughs> we wanted to, to be allowed to sing outside to cheer people up, you know, mm-hmm. and particularly to cheer up our care homes mm. and our Alzheimer's dementia care homes particularly. Mm. So we got permission to do that. And we got the law changed so that you could make groups of six socially distanced. You could make a pod of six, but you could have multiple groups socially distanced. So you could actually make quite a big choir if you wanted to. Mm. And we we filmed a concert. We made made a a wonderful carol concert with a fantastic group of jazz singers. And they were almost like the swingle singers. I don't know if you remember those. I remember the swingle singers. Yeah, wonderful close harmony group. And we got some instruments. And in in the cloisters, which is outdoors, basically, it just has a, a roof covering, so that was plastered outdoors. Where was oh, Westminster, Westminster Abbey, which oh, was wonderful. Really? Keeping it close um, to Boris, um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. We made, we made this. It was so wonderful to get my voice out and sing. I, I was so excited because... <laughs> The most I'd done up to that was singing You'll Never Walk Alone in the Street on a Thursday when we clapped. And uh, Oh, and I'd done some singing for a Lost Chord. We'd, we'd recorded some music with a big team of Lost Chord. We'd, yes, I saw uh, I'd that. taken part at, yeah, in, 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 a, in a We'll Meet Again rendition. Mm. We did some, some lovely songs for our care homes. But this was a, a kind of bigger thing. And we did lots of lovely, lovely carols for people to join in with and some songs that they could just listen to. And we, we sent this to every care home in the country, both Alzheimer's dementia and regular care homes, so they could have a special Christmas concert. Uh, and, and I think it was very well received. It was available, I think, all through January. It may have now gone, but if people want to see it, if it is still there, it'll be on the Outform website and I think on the Lost Chord website too, it should be if it's still available. So uh, that was that was what we managed to do for Christmas but nothing beats actually getting into these lovely care homes and actually being able to hold the hand of somebody you're singing with and encourage them it's the physical contact you're absolutely yes. right in your introduction that makes such a huge difference I think I oh, know um, I think people can feel the music through the body actually as well as hear it mm. it's a perception it's a it's a quality of perceiving as Mm. much it's it's more than just hearing i was about to say that um because even when uh, the dementia is very severe people with dementia pick up on the emotion that's why your aunt probably through the song she knew you were really close to her you know that you meant Mm. something to her they pick Mm. up on the the emotions sort of the feeling is the last thing to go and also Mm. one of the reasons why music does remain such a strong force with people with dementia right up to the very end Mm. is because it it has so many elements to it apparently this is Oliver Sacks and people far greater than me Mm. that have discovered this because it has um, rhythm and cadence and pitch and so Mm. many different bits of the brain and it happens to be the bits of the brain that uh, are the last to go the receptive bits, yeah. yeah. But it also, it is there's an intangible quality which I've mm. seen in action. It touches mm. the soul. It causes music touches the soul, and I think that to a person close to the end of their life mm. is very important. Yes. To make, I think music is a catalyst for all kinds of things. Mm. Basically, the performer is a conduit, a very useful conduit that connecting 
the writing, the mm. composer and the librettist's writing, it's a wonderful symbiotic relationship that composers have with their performers because neither can exist without the other. Mm. You know, if a piece of music isn't performed, then it's just scribbled on a piece of paper. Mm. You know, it's just mm. dots mm. and dashes. Mm. And I've, equally, I can't make music unless I've got some to, mm. to read. Mm. So, mm. well, I could, but, you know, you see the point. It's and, a mutually and I, interdependent thing, isn't it's it? It's interdependent, yes. exactly. Yeah. And I think through that relationship, literally, something divine happens, something yes. magic happens. I mean, music, I'd love somebody to research this, but there is, I can tell you from personal experience, I can only describe it as divine. There's a sort of connection that you make from whatever it is that creates music. Even if you're not a religious person, that can just be the power of the collective conscious. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I'm happy, I'm absolutely. happy to believe that. No. But, there's a, but through the performer, that is taken and given to the audience. And that it is a, a, a magical moment. And I can only describe it as touching... Well, the, the essence of of mm. who I am, the absolutely. soul. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, uh, but, yes. But you don't have to use religious terms to express it. It still happens. It's you sort know, of alchemy, isn't it? It's like yeah. an alchemy or something. that it de- Exactly. Definitely something happens, which yes. is almost... It's magical. Magical, <laughs> intangible, yeah. magical, yeah. Intangible. Yeah. And I think, as you were saying, it's the very last thing that you can connect to. That's me, my observation. I mean, mm. I, I don't suffer from the disease, thankfully, mm. although I may yet. I mean, that's mm. the other thing, I think, that visiting the homes and working with Lost Cord has taught me mm. that everybody, everybody in this country at some point in their lives is touched by this disease. Mm. You're either going to have someone you love who suffers from it or mm. has suffered from it or will mm. suffer from it mm. or, you know, or sadly will die from it. Mm. And I don't think there's a family in the country that mm. doesn't have someone they love mm. or loved, you know, that hasn't been touched by this disease. No, and therefore it, it behoves us all to do what we can, I feel very strongly. Now, I also want to talk to you, Leslie, about this completely and utterly brilliant idea that you came up with when we first <laughs> met. Yes. We met at a, at a dementia event, didn't we? we and did. you were giving a, a wonderful speech and you kept sort of launching into song, I remember that. And I am hoping you might <laughs> launch into a little bit of a song a bit later. You never know. Uh, um, you never know. <laughs> but at the end of your brilliant speech you said almost as a throwaway remark you had this idea about the BBC reintroducing an old schools program on the radio called Singing Together now can you tell everybody Mm. about your most brilliant idea (laughs) not everybody listening will remember this program because it didn't survive the test of time but when I was a kid we used to have this programme called Singing Together on the radio and the classroom would have a radio and we'd all have these little booklets with the songs in and this wonderful singer on the radio uh, or a group of singers sometimes would perform these songs for us to join in with. And it's, I think it's where I discovered my love of community singing, that and singing around the piano at home. I used to long for these programmes uh, and I thought, wouldn't it be a good idea perhaps if we could recreate that within the care home setting so that we could have this experience of joining in of encouraging the residents to join in and I just wanted to see that happening on on a radio station and I I think we both tried didn't we to get the BBC to to agree to it but they it was at the time when they were setting up this wonderful new sounds app and Mm. I think they kind of felt that would 
somehow mm. deal with it. They did have a designated programme for older people to listen to music from the past. They did indeed, uh, yeah. Uh, which was, is fantastic. But one of the but... many brilliant aspects of your idea to me was that it was a radio. It would be on, say, well, they could start off on a BBC local radio station, but the yes, thing is I it's radio, so work. an app. You know, mm. if you're talking to somebody a bit older, I'm, I don't want to be patronising, but, you know, the idea of sort of an app and getting online and everything, but a radio. You a just, radio, a simple radio simple, station. You reach out yeah. and you plonk your finger on the switch and the radio comes and on. Also, it's something to look forward to, you know, every week mm. as every well, week. if they do it, did it at the same time. Yes. But if the carers are able to operate a computer, you know, then they could hear it again. You know, mm. they could go to sounds, they could, or iPlayer, yes. and, and, and hear it again. But yes, I just wanted to keep it simple and straightforward and, uh, and something people would be familiar with from their childhoods. I was, I was aiming it at people my age, 60 and over, you know, yes. and people in, in care homes who just would like to join in. And it, it's a shame we couldn't get it actually off the ground in time for these lockdowns because it would have been it's ideal. such a shame. And also yeah. when I was busy trying to lobby people about it, I remember actually on another, you know, when the BBC uh, turned it down and went to a commercial station, they were very interested in it, but one of their reservations was that they don't like to sort of tranche people up and have a particular cohort of people, so they were a bit worried about it only being for older people. But actually, because it's a radio, it wouldn't even need to be for that. You could have... Because, you know, we sang it. I I, I remember it very well. When As soon as you mentioned it, I was back there at the singing together at my school. And we were children and we loved it. So you could have children listening with their mum, with a granny, and it would bring people together while singing together. Yes, Um, singing together. That's literally what what it is. And it was actually introduced in 1939 for the, (laughs) you know, the children evacuees. They were evacuated and that's why they introduced singing together, to bring the whole country together. So I I thought, you know, we need it now more than ever. I think so. Well, it went on well into the 60s. It it went into the revival. I think it went on into the 60s. It went on for 60 years. From 19th, so what's that? So it was only, it only in 99. Oh, yeah, my math is hopeless, but I think so. So if there's anybody from the BBC or anywhere else listening, um, here you are, and we've got Leslie Garrett and, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I perhaps might try and ring Radio Sheffield. I think you're right about maybe doing it locally first, Mm. because that's where Lost Chord is based. It's based in in Rotherham, in the Rotherham-Sheffield area. So, and that's where my forebears come from as well so yes. there's lots of connections there yeah so if we could get some a radio a local radio just do it for 15 minutes exactly. because also the the music or perhaps just the words is all people would need it could easily again if the care home could do it they could download that onto you know and print it out of course. They? I bet most care homes have got a printer yeah so it could be for free or just for the cost of the paper so i, I think it could be even easier than it was originally because yeah. these little booklets have to be sent out by post we wouldn't you need, know, to, we do wouldn't need to do that that yeah no no let's give it another go Pippa (laughs) absolutely absolutely so anybody listening well you've just mentioned your sort of childhood home and your background where you came from would you mind just taking us back there a little bit and telling us about your childhood because I'd love to know about how you you've already mentioned that your whole family was incredibly musical just take us back to those Yorkshire (laughs) roots (laughs) oh how long have you got well (laughs) I did come from a, a very, very interesting and wonderful family, I have to say. Looking back now, I realise just how <laughs> how unique my family mm. were. At the time, you know, you, you, it's just your family and you just think they're fairly ordinary. But 
I now realise they were special. They really were special. I, as I say, I was born in in Thorn. Most of my family were miners or railway workers uh, or steel workers. They were all working people. The women all worked as well, and we were by no means well off. Nobody was. It was a pretty hand to mouth existence, but we were incredibly happy. Mm-hmm. Um, what nearly everybody had was a piano in their front room, and so there was a lot of music and mm-hmm. and the the miners' uh, welfare. As it, was, as it was called, the miners' unions were very enthusiastic and about uh, encouraging the learning of instruments, particularly brass instruments, which is where we get the lovely brass bands from. Mm. But during my school time, the local education authority, Doncaster Education Authority, was extremely encouraging with instruments and training. We had a cupboard at school that was just full of instruments, and we could all learn them, you know, and have lessons if we were interested. So, as I say, everybody seemed to be able to play the piano. Uh, I had two sets of fantastic grandparents. My granddad, my dad's side, the Garrett's side, my nanny Garrett had a brilliant operatic voice naturally so and my dad inherited that honestly he was built like Pavarotti and he could and he sounded like him on a good day he had a fantastic natural Italianate tenor sound mm. and he and I used to sing together a lot it was always a bit competitive and we'd always be vying to see who could hold the top note the longest and uh, <laughs> and that was great fun and built up my lung capacity and his father my granddad Garrett was a dance band leader as well as being a railway worker and he had a dance band called Arthur Garrett and the Blackout Boys, which was obviously from the wartime, but he kept it going well into the 70s. (laughs) And so I had a lot of music from that side of the family. Grandad Garrett could get a tune out of absolutely anything. He was a good keyboard player, but he played saxophone, uh, drums, very good drummer. And so I always feel I got my sort of uh, entertainment genes from my dad's side of the family. Mm. But from my mum's side of the family, I got my love of classical music. Uh, My mum had a very beautiful light soprano voice. Mm. She was a very keen choral singer, amateur choral singer. She sang in two choral societies most of her life, Doncaster Choral and Scunthorpe Choral. Mm. And most of the choirs, I remember, came to her funeral and we raised the roof when she passed away and it was wonderful singing. But my granddad Wall, her father, was my big influence because he earned his living from playing the piano. Mm. He was born into a, a mining family in Sheffield, in Wath near Sheffield. His brothers, there was 10 of them, I think, although they lost two, so eight at the end. His brothers were all colliers. His dad was a minor collier. But my granddad had an asthma, so he couldn't go down the pit. Mm. So my great-granddad said, right, lad, well, if thou's not going down pit, thou'll be put to piano. Because (laughs) in those days, earning a living from playing the piano, uh, or from music in general, was the second best way of earning a living after mining. It was a fantastically lucrative time for musicians because it it was the silent movies and a lot of them got work in the cinemas. And in fact, my granddad, eventually, he actually was a fine, fine pianist and he won national competitions and passed his licentiate of London Schools of Music. We've got lovely photographs of him. He was tiny. He did did it when he was 12. He he was actually a prodigious talent. Um, He had the chance to go to. London to complete his studies but he turned the opportunity down because he wanted to stay in the north and he got a job playing uh, or running an orchestra for a cinema and composing it's not well known but when the silent movie would come this is we're going back more than 100 years now of course when the silent movie would arrive it didn't come with a score the musicians particularly the pianist who led the orchestra had to write the music and they Mm. had a couple of hours on a Friday afternoon 
to do that. Oh, they got gosh. to see the picture once and they, you know, they had to create the music. Gosh. I mean, there was a lot of improvisation going mm. on and Grandad was terrific at that. Mm. But in at the weekends as well, they'd give concerts and they'd often perform the great suites from the operas and the overtures from the great mm. operas. So Grandad knew a lot of opera. And he taught me to play the piano. He taught us all to play the piano. We could all play the piano. Mm. And I got a scholarship eventually to go to the Royal Academy of Music. So I was fulfilling his dream mm. of going to London to study. And, and he was still uh, alive then? So he, and knew he you was got... still alive yeah, to see that, brilliant. which was marvellous. But when I said that I wanted to become an opera singer, he said, and that I got into the Royal Academy, mm. he said, hey, lass, he said, that's grand. I'm that proud of you. He said, I love opera. Except for singing. (laughs) (laughs) So I had a bit of convincing to do there, and I managed to get, uh, you know, to convince him there was more to opera than the instrumental (laughs) interludes and the old children. Brilliant. But anyway, to cut a long story short, I had this fantastic amateur, very powerful Mm. amateur music making tradition Mm. that I came from Mm. of a very high standard because honestly the brass bands were professional of a Mm. professional standard and a lot of the orchestras particularly the Halle because my good friend Mark Elder and I Sir Mark Elder Mm. often talk about this that the Halle would take their brass players from the cream of the brass band players would go and play for the Halle and for other orchestras yeah so very there was a big relationship Mm. yeah and of course the choral societies up in York were yeah. legendary the Huddersfield mm. Choral mm. Society is, you know is legendary yes. and many of the others so I grew up with this surrounded by a huge range of different kinds of music yes. ranging from opera and choral music to folk music to pop music to and certainly the songs from the shows because we would just sing anything and everything at school and at home Thorn Grammar School was a, a wonderful grammar school. It was it was almost run like a public school, mm. and we had houses and we had house music competitions, and mm. and it was I think it was after a trip to London when I was sixteen with my aunt and uncle, who could see I had talent. My mm. I think my mum and dad, in a way although they thought I had talent, they didn't think that was out of the ordinary because lots of the family could sing, Mm. you know, Mm. and and lots could perform. And I just Mm. had this desperate need to get on the stage. I think that's what probably separated me out. I used Mm. to stand on the window ledge at home when I was little. This is my favourite game with my younger sisters. And I'd (laughs) I'd have the vacuum cleaner plug as a microphone (laughs) with the flex, you know. And then I'd get my sisters to wish the curtains open and shine torches at me and I'd burst into song. Oh, and that, that so you were a diva, a diva even uh, then, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> with <laughs> and, your uh, hoover, with your vacuum. With my hoover, with the vacuum, yeah. It was so funny. But they took me to London and I completely fell in love with the West End and I mm. went to the English National Opera mm. and I saw Madame Butterfly. Oh. And when I heard, and I heard Arva June, mm. no, it was Elizabeth Harwood singing. Right. Elizabeth Harwood was yes. singing, sang One Fine Day. And I knew it because we'd sung it around the piano with yes, my dad. Yes. And I thought, well, I know this. This, yes. this, this is called opera. Yes. <laughs> that was the first time I'd made the connection between what I had done already and yes. what was there waiting to be done. And, yeah. and I just thought, I am going to sing here. This is, mm. where, I, this mm. is where I'm going to make my home. I just had a mm. sort of 
a premonition of it somehow. And mm. I went back home and persuaded my... I was doing sciences at A-level. I was just about to start to do sciences because mm. uh, I was very interested in science. Uh, my father was also passionate about science. He and my mum were the biggest influences of all because they were both railway workers when I was born. My mum sold tickets in the booking office and my father was a signalman. Mm. But when I was about seven or eight, I think six or seven, my dad decided that he wanted to become a school teacher. Mm. And he studied in his signal box. I've got this lovely image of him with a, on a bicycle with shopping baskets full of books going off to his signal box. And yes. he studied and studied and studied while he was pulling his levers. He managed to pass his exams and get to teach training college. Mm. And my mum followed him and he did the first three years and then she did the next three years. And they became not just school teachers, but my father became a headmaster yes. in a school in Sheffield. And my mum became head of music in a school just outside Doncaster. Yes. And I just thought, well, if they can do that, mm. why can't mm. I have a shot at becoming mm. an international opera singer? Mm. They gave you a tremendous sort of drive. and Yes, yeah, they did. Belief. And I, mm. And I, coupled with this conviction I'd had and this almost like a, a premonition I'd had when I went to visit the London mm. Coliseum, I came home and said to my headmistress, please, can I do music? Mm. Can I drop one of these sciences? So I ended up doing a couple of sciences and music and didn't do very well in sciences, but managed to get music A-level in about, well, less than a year. Mm. <laughs> so I put all my effort into it. But I was lucky because about 40% of the mark was practical and I could play the piano and I could sing just naturally and but that's what I didn't start having lessons until I was 16 I don't think yes late and that was I had to spend all my pocket money going on three different buses to get to Wath ironically where I met the great Vivian Pike who was my first singing teacher we had a class lesson in Wath grammar school then eventually after a few months she came to our school and I was allowed to have a lesson on my own when they realized I wanted to do it professionally they Mm. the school were amazing I mean you Mm. couldn't get that now Pippa mm, you mm, couldn't get mm. that that happening now and mm. I got a scholarship a county major award and went to the Royal Academy of Music and yes. you know it was the first in the district to do that and again you know Doncaster Education Authority were fantastic if I yes. hadn't had that because my my parents you know even though they'd gone up in the world as it were they couldn't afford to send me so without that scholarship I'd have been in trouble <laughs> yes 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 but br- absolutely brilliant and then you won the Kathleen Ferrier prize so- yes I struggled a bit at the Royal Academy I felt I was a real fish out of water to really? start with because well all the other students seemed to me to be already professionals they'd been studying all their lives oh, you know since yes, they were infants whereas mm. I I was just a, an enthusiastic amateur with a mm. with, you know with a, with a big noise and a desire to communicate I remember Remember, I was I, I used to do every single show at school. Obviously, I lived for four o'clock to get into the school hall to do the next opera or musical or whatever we were doing. And we mm. it was always a very mixed. I remember we, one year we did Benjamin Britten's Little Sweep, and then another yes. we did. Oh, I remember we did Noah's Flood. I yes. remember I was a gossip in that. Yes, yes. my <laughs> daughter was in Noah's Flood. Oh, it's a super opera, mm, isn't mm, it? Absolutely mm, super. Absolutely, it is, yeah. It but is also, also, we do say My Fair Lady as well, the following mm. term. So, and I've played Eliza in that. Which, mm. So I very much grew up with loving musicals and operas and sort of knowing about some of them, but I, I hadn't connected the big Puccini operas because obviously we didn't do those, mm. uh, which is what inspired me when I went to London. Yes. But I remember one piece we did was called Summer Song, 
This was a, a really pivotal moment because it was a, sort of like an operetta or an American musical, really, an early American mu- example of a musical. They called them American Operetta at the time. Mm. And it was based on Dvorak's New World Symphony. Yes. So all the themes came from that. Mm. And uh, I played the role of Millie and she was married to a travelling salesman. Mm. And his patch was the whole of New England because the musical was set in New England, which is why it used Dvorak's New World Symphony as its basis. And I only saw my husband once a year. He would only come round once a year. (laughs) Now, bear in mind, I was 13 or 14 when I was doing this piece. (laughs) And I had to sing the following song. Birds and bees and old jackrabbits know just how to get their stuff. But for a girl with loving habits, once a year is not enough. (laughs) And I had no idea why why people laughed so uproariously. I did not know what I was singing about. It was just, you know. Uh, But all I knew was I made this amazing connection with the audience and they were falling about laughing. And I just loved that feeling. Feedback from the audience. This is what what I'm meant to do. I'm meant to make people laugh or cry or whatever. Yes. That was the moment, the, the pivotal moment. Oh, okay. But I remember mm. when I got to the Royal Academy, I was so behind. I just knew nothing compared mm. to... I mean, I'd managed to, to do A-level music and also Mrs Pike had rushed me through my last mm. couple of associated mm. board exams, So, which I did. I got distinctions, but only because of the singing. Mm. You know, I could mm. barely sight read. And, <laughs> mm. Mm. and I remember being very, very unhappy to start with the Royal wow. Academy. And I remember there was a song that used to always be in my mind i used to sing a north country maid up to london had strayed although with her nature it did not agree she wept and she sighed and she bitterly cried oh i wish once again in the north i could be Oh, the oak and the ash and the bonny ivy tree all flourish at home in my own country. Oh, the oak and the ash and the bonny ivy tree all flourish at home in my own country. Tree. Oh, that and was that was a beautiful. song that just meant so much to me and I always can, has. Of course, of course. You don't <laughs> need to explain that. Because I missed my home. Yes. I was so homesick to start with. But uh, my mum did a wonderful thing. She sent me a letter. She sensed, because uh, it's not like today, you couldn't bring home on the mobile every mm. five minutes. I just didn't get to talk to my parents. And I remember my mum sent me an envelope, uh, a letter, and I opened it and these stones fell on my feet. And I thought, what's going mm. on? Why has my mum sent me stones? And mm. I opened the letter mm. and it just had a, a couple of sentences. She said, I thought you might need some Yorkshire grit, oh, so I've sent you some. She what said, a I've been, She said, I've sent you some. She said, now you spit on your hands and take a fresh old, oh. which is a Yorkshire tug-of-war expression. Right. T- spit on your hands, hands yeah, and take yeah, a fresh yeah, hold yeah, of, the rope. of the rope. And it means, yeah. you, you know, come on, you yeah, can do yeah, this, love. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's that, that moment and the feeling of 
contact with my mum's mm-hmm. over mm-hmm. 200 miles and, yes. uh, you know, in a lot of air. Yes. <laughs> but I felt so close to her and it meant so much. I wish I'd saved them. I didn't save yes. them. I, I did for a long time, but they got lost. Yes. But that's wonderful. That's a lesson for us, isn't it, at the moment? Yeah. You know, the exactly. power of the power of actually yeah. putting pen to paper and then having because, a thoughtful... Yeah. And because I knew she'd had those stones in her hand, that grit in her hand, she'd just just gone into the garden, she told me later, Mm. and picked up some grit and some soil and put it in an envelope and dashed off this note. It was on a torn-off bit of corner paper, you know, it wasn't a proper letter. You know, you thought you might need some Yorkshire grit, so I've sent you some. Here's some Yorkshire grit. And I knew she'd had that in her hand, and when I had it in my hand, I was touching her. Her. That's how it felt. Connection, yeah. (laughs) The connection, all about connection. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Oh, well, Leslie, I, I had lots more I wanted to ask you about, but... Um, <laughs> oh, I'm you... sorry. Have I rattled on? <laughs> no, you're brilliant. And also, we they did... They used get... to call me Gobby Garrett at school. <laughs> I really don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. I can't think. <laughs> no, you were totally brilliant. Totally brilliant. Thank you. So thank you very, very much. And uh, let's just repeat, should anybody be listening, with the Singing Together idea... And a big shout out too for Lost Core, which is the most wonderful charity, really doing Absolutely. good things. And uh, what a patron to have in you! Uh, fantastic. <laughs> so, oh, we've got Cliff Richard as well. We did a concert recently with Cliff and raised a lot of money thanks to Cliff. Fabulous. So, well, I think you had a little well. little part in that, didn't you? Well, in the raising yes, of the money. I was I was his warm up act. <laughs> <laughs> very happy to be so yeah (laughs) but it's been a joy to be with you Pippa and thank you so much for championing this incredibly important subject and and for all that you do to make everyone aware of what Alzheimer and dementia means and how we can all help well when Uh, it involves speaking to you you know people like you Leslie it's just a joy (laughs) just a joy so thank you very very much my pleasure thank you Gobby Garrett I love it, and I loved her. What an incredible passion for music she has. She was such a generous guest, and very down to earth. I love the idea of one of our biggest opera stars describing her younger self as an enthusiastic amateur with a big noise. Leslie lives for music, for song, and this gives her an innate understanding of the power it holds for those with dementia. It's power to awaken, to quicken, and stir into life people who may seem lost to us and to themselves, to connect. For Leslie, as for me, it's all about connections. Her Yorkshire roots, her family, the wonderful story of her mum sending her literally through the post some Yorkshire grit. She'd had it in her hands and touching the stones, Leslie was touching her. We all need a bit of that right now. We all need a bit of grit. You can find Lost Cord the charity of which Leslie is a patron, at lost-cord.co.uk. And Out to Perform, which she also mentioned, is at www.outtoperform.com. And on the Out to Perform website, if you click on Our Campaigns and Carols for Care Homes, you can see, and hear of course, Leslie leading the singing in the cloisters at Westminster Abbey. It's truly wonderful. And finally, if you've enjoyed listening today, I would be very, very grateful if you would rate, review 
and subscribe to the podcast on whichever platform or channel you're listening to it on, as this will help spread the word about the podcast, and then together perhaps we can further diminish the stigma, increase the knowledge, and quash the myths surrounding dementia.